Hello, uh, welcome to Bartel Radio. My name is Cass Enright. I'm the founder of Bartel.com. I'm here with my co-host Chris Kebble, and we're here tonight with George Milbrandt, the publican of Say What, um, a great pub down uh, on uh, Front Street at church. Welcome, George. Thank you for uh, coming down and, and sharing a beer with me. No problem. Uh, tonight's podcast uh, is quite unique because it's happening uh, live. We're sitting at a table here at uh, the pub, enjoying a couple of fine beers as we chat about Say What. So I think ever since the beginning, uh, you've been a strong supporter of local beer um, and local other things, wine, food. What made you decide to uh, be such a strong supporter of local, local stuff? Well, I think first I would blame uh, my American heritage on that. Uh, I was born in Chicago, uh, and I think Americans support their own a little bit better than at least Torontonians do. Uh, we, we have a, a bit of a problem uh, accepting things that, uh, that happen locally as having good value. Mm-hmm. We're always looking to, to Europe or somewhere else. Anywhere but here mm-hmm. has something valid to offer, but we don't have something valid to offer. In the pub business, uh, it, it used to be that uh, an English pub was the thing to, uh, to aspire to be. And there's a lot of good things about an English pub. Uh, but the one thing that's not good about an English pub is that it's not Toronto. It's, it's trying to be something else. And uh, we still see a lot of that around. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit less so. Um, in any case, it was uh, one of my early thoughts was that I want this to be a local, like a true local, to, to represent the place that it's in, mm-hmm. rather than to try to be something else. Well, I think I think you've achieved achieved that admirably. Certainly, when Chris and I started trying new beers out in the mid '90s when we were in university, this was one of this was our local from U of T because we wanted to come down here as much as we can to try out the beers because at that time and even to this day it's very hard to get the kind of beers on draft that are available at the pub here well um, you know the the whole local focus uh, thing with beer uh, beer is the was my first local focus the idea encompasses a lot more than that but as a young man beer was close to my heart uh, going back to the, the, the late 70s uh, when I was uh, you know, first able to uh, actually go into the uh, brewer's retail, as it was called then, uh, overawed like a kid in a candy store by, by the, the, the display of bottles, all the different kinds of beer that you could, you could buy. This is great. Well, after about six months of religiously going through all these different brands that were available, I kind of realized that they all kind of tasted the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't as, as wide a variety as, as I thought. That in turn led to uh, home brewing, uh, where I discovered that different flavors are possible. Not all of them good, mm-hmm. different flavors, but. Uh, uh, and, and then, uh, fortunately, at the same time uh, that I was starting up this venture, uh, the microbrewery or craft beer movements uh, started to pick up a little bit of steam. Uh, I guess there's other people feeling the same way that I was, that all these brands that were out there weren't really choices. Uh, 
And uh, so it was a happy coincidence that when Say What started off, we had uh, Creamore uh, had just opened the year before. Wellington was was uh, doing their thing. Upper Canada was doing their thing. Brick. Um, so there were some choices to start off with that were local and had flavor. It's funny you, you mentioned that you recount the story from the Brewers Retail when you were young about the, the bottle wall because Chris and I had the same experience in the 90s at the beer store at Spadina in the U of T going in when they used to have the single bottle mix six and at the time we wanted to try something different and we just started picking beers mm-hmm. as many different singles as we could and even that at that time we still knew that there was more out there to try and we uh, that's when we sought places like this to try something even different than what was available at the beer store because even at that time you see the bottles it looks great but it's not it wasn't it wasn't exactly not, not all it appears no it wasn't all that it appears <laughs> yeah. you know for those who have who know say what know that the, the pub has gone through a lot of change over the years there was the I guess the this is considered the original section the front street side and then there was an expansion onto Church Street which was a music area and then that contracted closed up and then expansion into the other side the opposite side of the bar with the addition of some new, um, some new features to the pub, including uh, TVs, pool tables that didn't exist previously. So, tell me about how the changes to the pub have have gone about, and how how you've seen the evolution of the bar to from what it what it was physically to what it is now. Well, it's a, it's a bit of a complicated story coming over twenty years. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, but what, what's probably of most interest to uh, bar tellers is, is the growth in the number of taps. That's one of the driving forces uh, for, for change. We started off with eight taps. Uh, and in the first year, we weren't quite as bold as, as we've been since then. We actually had a few major products on it. We never had a a direct blue or export kind of thing. But yeah. we did have Foster's, we did have Toby, which at the time was considered to be I remember Toby. You know, the <laughs> most flavorful beer ever, uh, as well as, as uh, the micro stuff. And uh, that lasted for about nine months or so. We uh, expanded our, our tap lamp to ten, uh, very quickly with the addition of uh, some handful uh, Wellington Cascales. And uh, then we uh, went up to 14 um, about a year later. And about the time that we went to 14 taps, we said, you know, we really don't need this other stuff on it. Just, it's confusing our message. We're trying to, to play both sides of the street or whatever expression you want to use. And we're just confusing people. Well, you can have this, but you can't have... Where's, where's my blue light? <laughs> Why are you giving me you know, these two choices when I really want this other thing? Mm. So it, be, it became apparent that uh, it was going to be easier for us to, to push our true local flavor agenda if we uh, made a, a more concise statement on tap and just went with microbrews, period. That's all we serve. 
And that was uh, followed, uh, uh, I guess, about two years into Sailor being open by us uh, taking uh, major domestic brands off of bottle list as well. Mm-hmm. It took us another 16 years to get rid of the imports. Uh, so, uh, last two or three years, we've gone completely craft beer, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, our interests and, and the interests of consumers have somewhat aligned, and, and we feel we can pull that off. Uh, so, along the way, you know, we went from the 14 lines. Uh, we have an opportunity in 1992 uh, for a space uh, to put a music room into. Go, great. That'll, that'll allow us to get another 16 lines in. Nice. And um, we'll also uh, help out with uh, the, the fun juggling. People just want to come in for quiet beer. People want to come in for music. There's, there's all sorts of reasons to come in to our establishment. And sometimes they don't always, um, they're not always compatible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was that was the music room experience, and, and uh, that did us quite well for 10 years until we lost the room. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the latest expansion uh, after we lost that room, it was actually during the time that we lost the room, uh, was spurred by the need for a smoking room. That's, that's why all of a sudden we went from for our original 3,100 square foot place, uh, we got another 2,000 square feet for a music room, which we then lost. Then we expand 4,000 more square feet just to get a bloody smoking room. <laughs> At the time, that was the that was the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, got our smoking room; it all worked well. We got more lines. We're up to 35 beers on tap now. Everything's uh, everything's good for beer lovers, anyway. Um, and of course, we lost our smoking room. Not so good for smokers. Uh, not so good for us either. Yeah. Uh, smokers uh, must be their compulsive nature, but uh, we've seen quite a dent in alcohol sales. So, uh, in any case, it, the, one of the funny things uh, about all, all this expanding and contracting and all that, I always uh, go into it with the impression that, okay, we're going to alleviate some of the crowding, uh, we're going to make it easier for uh, folks like you guys, who, who are, you know, who just want to come down and have, have a pint. Mm-hmm. They're not here to with their 800 friends and mm-hmm. whatever. They can come down on the weekends. We'll have more space. Well, it didn't work out. Um, have more space, have bigger groups, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the restaurant industry always throws you uh, curves. I'm sure. It's not always what you expect it to be. Uh, we continue to try to figure out ways to make our custo- all of our customers happy, and we don't always succeed, but we try. Just on another point, I, uh, you know, I started working down this part of the world around '94 when I started a summer job down at the Financial Post, which is King and Sherborne. So it's funny that you mentioned earlier about the original vision of say what was to be a local, and I've seen in the 10 plus years since that time that I was working here, this neighborhood changed quite dramatically. And it's it's not the same place in some ways as it was back then, and I'm sure back when the, the pub first started. How is, how is the neighborhood, uh, and how is the neighborhood uh, that's been constantly changing affected say what, if at all? I think it's affected, uh, say what, positively. 
Uh, I think it's a much healthier neighborhood than it was uh, initially. Uh, I think the Esplanade back in the late 80s was, was uh, known for a certain kind of bar scene, uh, which uh, has passed us by, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I think what hastened its passing was the GST that was put in 1991 killed off a lot of bars uh, all across Toronto. Hmm. There was, there was a, a big reaction to that. But in, in their place, eventually, <laughs> eventually uh, uh, came a, a newer sensibility in, in terms of uh, the kind of restaurants. And uh, the condo boom down here has, has added uh, kind of another level of of, uh, of consumer mm -hmm. uh, for for us. Not only do you have uh, people that work downtown uh, that maybe are taking the GO train out to the suburbs, and we're close to that. Uh, you've got the theaters uh, that are still going. Uh, knock wood that, uh, that the Hummingbird can continue uh, along and uh, revitalize itself. Mm -hmm. You've got people living in Lovely 800-square-foot condominiums <laughs> where, you know, if you want to have people over, you might just want to take them down to your, your local pub exactly. in, instead of shoehorning yourself into it, <laughs> which is a lovely living space for, you know, you and your partner. For one, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but when you have guests over, you, you might just want to, you know, come down to a place like Say What. Sure. So uh, that's been good. Uh, we have a, a very strong... Uh, neighborhood in terms of uh, activism. Uh, we have a, a strong uh, business improvement area, which is basically a, a business association. There's a strong neighborhood association. So there, there's a lot of people that are very interested in uh, a healthy neighborhood around here. Great. So what do you think, as we look at the changes in the past, you see a lot of changes coming in the future. You know, like For example, the tax that is being talked about on alcohol uh, through the city of Toronto. Um, what changes in the future do you see that could be both positive or potentially negative? Well, when you come to, to uh, government things, I mentioned the GST earlier, um, there is rarely a positive outcome from uh, government intervention in the restaurant industry, especially in terms of alcohol. The, the GST wasn't an alcohol thing alone. It was the fact that you, uh, you have a meal in a restaurant, there's, there's tax put on it. Uh, you have a, a takeout meal from Loblaws, there's no tax put on it. Mm -hmm. uh, so th there's still those disparities, and, and they just grow year by year. It, se it seems that, uh, that uh, the people that uh, are in charge of governing um, seem to think that there's a bottomless wall of, of uh, cash flow coming out of restaurants that can just be tapped into any time they get themselves into trouble. So I don't see anything good coming out of that, uh, that end of things. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I think that Toronto is becoming a little bit looser, and I mean this in a good way. Uh, the uptight, uh, pseudo-Victorian kind of 1960s, 1970s, where looking back to, to liquor rules, where you, you couldn't even leave your table with a drink. Mm -hmm. It would have to be carried by a waiter. Some of that's going by the wayside. People are loosening up and, and understanding the value, uh, I think, of 
restaurants, cafes, pubs, bars, in the whole culture of the city. Um, that it's, it's a healthy thing to have people go out and meet their fellow citizens and have a good time and, mm -hmm. and all the rest of that. It, uh, it puts people on the streets, you don't have the problems that you have in a lot of uh, major American cities uh, that don't have people on the streets, except for the people that you don't want to meet. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, you know, there's, I don't know what's going to win out of the whole thing. Um, uh, I am the eternal optimist, uh, so I hope that uh, the side of culture wins out over the side of uh, regulation and taxation. Mm -hmm. we'll we see. shall see. Yeah. So, we'll just, um, you know, what's what's in store for Say What now? So, I mean, it's been 20 years, you know, there's, there's you know, got a big tap list, got two great rooms, you've got lots of events that happen every year. Um, what's what's next? What's what's the future hold? Well, in, in terms of a, a big picture item, uh, I think food is, uh, is top of our priority list. Uh, I think we've got a, a fine uh, list of beer, fine list of wine, good spirits, uh, great whiskey. Uh, and pretty good food, but uh, in the restaurant business, there's always room for improvement. Mm -hmm. You're only as good as your last meal, uh, or, or your last pint. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think uh, I think food's important to us uh, as well. The, the fact that we don't have a patio, we need to give people more reasons to come down on lovely summer days like today. Absolutely. Uh, and. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy to, uh, to open up a restaurant, it's easy for people to come in your door, and uh, you know, that first trip is, it's the easiest part. Uh, living up to expectations day after day is, is, is the hard part, and uh, that's why there's, there's no lack of challenges after 19, 20 years. Mm -hmm. there's, there's never a boring day uh, in, the, in the life of a, a restaurant owner. Um, so, you know, looking ahead, the challenges are just trying to be uh, the best uh, true local flavor pub we can be and uh, try not to screw up too much, uh, <laughs> make as many people happy as we can. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a great thing to, to, to go home with at the end of the day. Um, you know, if I leave here, go home for you know, dinner with my family, and I look around and, and people are laughing and having a good time. Uh, that's uh, a great satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, on that note, um, thanks, George. It's been nice, uh, nice chatting with you tonight. Okay. Cheers. And um, we'll we'll stick around for a couple yeah, more beers. Cheers. There you go. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm.